You are listening to a sermon from Mission Point St. John. We hope this message encourages a deeper connection between you and Jesus, our Savior. We thank God for the opportunity to come to the house of the Lord tonight uh, for Bible study. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me, if you would, to uh, Psalm 51. Psalm 51. Uh, We'll read the first three verses as we start out. Uh, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. And so tonight I want to talk along the lines of a clean heart. Uh, Just before, so I don't forget, uh, with the passing of Brother Shepherd uh, early this morning, uh, we don't have the final arrangements yet, but as soon as we have that, we will... Uh, get those uh, to the church, and you can you can see that uh, information online. And uh, the visitation and funeral will be here at the church, but we just don't have the final um, timeline of that. We did get to spend uh, quite a bit of the night with um, the Shepherd family and uh, be with them. And uh, so pray for them if you would. Uh, he's a great elder of this church, and uh, Brother Robertson and I were just there. A short time ago and had a great visit with them and um, and so uh, pray for them they need God's strength uh, at this time of loss amen we were able to have prayer with him last night and uh, and then stay with the family through a good portion of the night but pray with them if you would and pray for them amen uh, a clean heart um, when you think of opportunities that we find ourselves in Uh, There's multiple ways that we approach how life deals to us certain situations. Um, You can read, know, I'm sure experience many different things that happen in people's lives, but um, if if a person who has fallen into a situation where uh, the enemy knows how to tempt, let's say, a, a young man or a young minister uh, that may cause the person's eyes to wander uh, and the person then takes the bait and and of course if they linger on those thoughts for uh, too long uh, then it can cause obviously issues with morality um, which will turn into lust which the Bible says lust turns into sin and that process can destroy someone's life. It can destroy someone's life. They can be overtaken with um, uh, something that started with maybe just a simple look that becomes a fantasy, that becomes an, a full-fledged um, immoral act. And you see people that find themselves in those types of situations, and they have tragic endings because unwilling to uh, repent, confess, uh, find themselves in situations where 
they uh, will not take instruction or uh, direction from people in their lives to help them. And tonight we can talk. You could come up with situations where I'm sure that has happened. Or you could find a situation where maybe someone who has been addicted to alcohol or nicotine and um, maybe find themselves in a moment of weakness and uh, fall in that moment of weakness and all of a sudden they realize they have done wrong and they find themselves in a place of repentance and, and it was a moment of weakness and they, they feel terrible and conviction happens and they maybe meet with pastor or, or family members to discuss their situations and, and hoping that it never happens in their life again and, and they set up guardrails and guidelines and say, you know what, I'm never going to fall into that situation again. And you see how just the attitude in those two situations determines a different end result. It's not whether one sin is greater than another. It's actually the approach of us as individuals in what happens when, when things happen in our lives that are not according to Scripture. The Bible makes it clear that sin is uh, pervasive in our world. It's, I mean, it's rampant. It's rampant right now. Um, you can maybe ask this question to parents. Uh, is it harder to teach kids to do bad or is it harder to teach kids to do good? <laughs> I'm going to say that a very high percentage, maybe all, of parents will say it's more difficult to actually teach kids to do good and to stay away from bad. Not that it can't happen. Obviously, uh, many kids are able to, but parents have to be diligent and intentional. You never have to teach a kid how to lie. You have to teach them how to not lie. Uh, it's just th that's, that's the nature that we're born into. So uh, in the case of uh, what happens in our natural lives, there's an inclination to sin. The writers of Scripture, uh, Paul basically puts it very clear, and he says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Um, the Bible says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. John wrote it. He said, listen, if we try to paint a picture that we're better than we are, we're only fooling ourselves. That's kind of how he brings it across. So the truth can easily be seen in observing through Scripture spiritual giants that no matter how powerful they were in Scripture, they had faults. They had failures. They had temptations. They had issues that, that came their way, and they had to make decisions. Every one of us sitting here tonight have to make decisions on how or what we're going to do 
with the life that God has given us, how we're going to present ourselves and how we're going to portray what he's done in our lives. The frustrating reality of life is, is that we will be tempted. Anyone sitting here that says you won't be tempted, um, that is absolutely 100% false. No one is exempt from the pulpit out. Paul described temptations that we faced. You can read it in 1 Corinthians 10 and 13. He, res- he, he describes it as common. Common to man. Even Christ was tempted by Satan. The Bible tells us that in Matthew chapter 4. He was tempted in the wilderness. The writer of Hebrews noted that Jesus was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. So however, whatever way you want to look at it, there is no way around the idea that every one of us are going to have situations where we're going to have to decide how we're going to respond and what attitude we take in, in making sure that we stay on the straight and narrow. There's an important distinction uh, being made that Uh, when it comes to being tempted. Temptation is not a sin. Temptation is not a sin. It's when you and I yield to temptation that it can become a sin. And whenever we are tempted, we've got to choose how we are going to respond to that temptation. Okay, so... It's not a question whether you will be tempted. You will be. Temptation, though, is not a sin. It's whether you or I yield to the temptation. This is what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians. And we just started to quote a little bit of it here. 10 and 13. God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. He'll make a way. He always makes a way. Whenever we are tempted, we should immediately run to God and say, God, I need an escape route. (laughs) The idea is uh, the enemy tries to make you and I think that you're the only one having struggle. Mm-mm. The opposite is true. There is no one who doesn't have struggle. You may not struggle with the same things as I, and I may not struggle with the same things as you, but everybody is tempted, and everybody has to make decisions, and everyone has the opportunity to run to the escape route. That temptation, which is common to man, is going to happen. We get to decide how we're going to react. So even though all of us have sinned and we will never achieve perfection in the flesh while we're still here, (laughs) we can spit shine each other until the Lord comes, but we're not going to be perfect while we're here. What's wonderful is the hope that we have beyond here. Amen. And after reminding his readers that everyone had sinned, 
then you see John, he's, he's encouraged. He says, my little children, these things write unto, I unto you, that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, who is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the world. You have an advocate when something goes wrong. Can I tell you that we have to get past the mentality that God is waiting to, to clothesline you and knock you off your feet. He's not waiting around the corner for you to come around the corner so he can knock your block off. He's not up there with a big sledgehammer waiting to hit you at the first moment of error. No, he's actually your advocate. He wants you to run to him. I'm in need of him. I have a lack in myself. I need to rely on him. He is my propitiation. He is my advocate. He is my solution. That word propitiation can also be translated as atoning sacrifice. By sacrificing himself, Jesus paid the price for my sin before it even happens. Our sins are so great, but individually and collectively, they could never, we could never make up for them. But we have someone who's good enough who paid the price, who took care of it, who nailed it, nailed it to the tree. We have someone who's way above our deeds, someone that we can put our weight upon. He is the atoning sacrifice. And uh, what happens is, and this you can, you can kind of attach this to Sunday morning and the call to repentance when I'm talking about a clean heart and uh, the passage that I read to you, uh, of course, this is, this is from the life of David. And David's prayer of repentance is mentioned and written here in Psalm 51. It's a great example to us when we sin what we need to do to get it right. Uh, David's example should make us more willing to confess and to repent our, of our sin than, than anything else within, within Scripture. When you look at the, the life of David, he was anointed to be king, and he messed up royally. I mean, his life was on a downward spiral fast. Um, if you look at if you look at this king, while all Israel was out fighting the Ammonites, David remained behind in Jerusalem with his mind and hands idle. David wasn't doing what God called him to do, lead his people in battle. He was actually home. And one afternoon, David was 
walking aimlessly on the roof of the king's house, looking down and saw Bathsheba, which was a beautiful woman married to another man, Uriah, who was a soldier who was actually where he should have been. And in that moment, David had a chance. He had a chance to look away. He, he could have gone somewhere else in the house. He could have taken a different direction. He could have turned around and got out of there as fast as he could. But instead, when temptation presented itself, David kept looking. And that look turned to lust, and that lust turned to fantasy. And then David did the unthinkable. And he sent messengers to have Bathsheba forced to come to where he was. And David grossly abused his power as king and took something that was not his. And shortly after, Bathsheba let David know that she was with child. And um, even though David had already sinned, he had an opportunity then to repent and ask for forgiveness. But sin was left unchecked, and he thought he could figure this out. And he compounded the problem into being even worse. Brought Uriah home, tried to be deceitful that somehow this was going to be Uriah's child. And Uriah... Uriah's loyalty to David was he wouldn't even sleep in his own house. You can read the story. And, um, of course, it compounded even worse. Well, if he won't sleep in his own house, then, then it got to the point where I've got to get rid of Uriah. And he put him on the front lines of battle and secretly ordered the captain to withdraw, allowing Uriah to be killed. Now David was guilty of not just uh, having an affair of adultery, but now guilty of murder. This is the king of Israel. And like all sin, it cannot remain hidden forever. And in the instance, God's mercy and his compassion, as it is with all of us, reached again for David. And God revealed it to Nathan the prophet, and Nathan confronted David and caused him to realize the seriousness and the gravity of his sin. And at that moment, David again had to make a choice. And what sometimes people don't always realize is David could have easily had the prophet killed. Just at his word. Nathan could have been killed. But David realized, admitted his wrongdoing when he was confronted. And at that moment, David's decision changed the trajectory of whether he was going to continue down the road he was on, would have ended up like Saul. Or his life would be turned around 
and Psalm 51 would be written. And fortunately, David took the right approach and repented and asked God for forgiveness. And you see, David confessed his sin, obviously, um, in this psalm. And after he's confronted by Nathan the prophet, there's a drastic change in David's life. And you see it at the very beginning of the psalm. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness. David confessed right at the first. He, there was no more. I'm going to try to justify, prove my authority, my position. I, I, no more. No, no. Have mercy upon me, O God. Yeah. He confessed his need for God and, in, and his mercy in order to truly, folks, repent. As I stated on Sunday, the call to repentance is you and I have to. We must realize our need of God. Say, Pastor, you're preaching to the church. That's exactly correct. Every one of us find ourselves in moments of temptation and there may be times when the wrong decision is made. As it happened with David, who is written so much about. He is a hero in the eyes of the Jews. He was a giant slayer. I mean, he, he, uh, he raised up a group of people that they were giant slayers for Years and years to come after David. That wasn't the one and only time that happened. And so David, he admitted that God was the only thing that could get him back on track. And the only thing that could cleanse him from his sin. Notice what he says. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, Blot out my transgressions. This is not going to be a Band-Aid solution, God. Blot it out. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. There's, there's a perspective from David here that says, uh, I, I've got I've to handle this once and for all. I've got to have a 180 turn in my life. I've got to have a true repentance of attitude and behavior. That was the two words from Sunday, if you didn't pick it up. When the call to repentance goes out, there's a change of attitude and there's a change of behavior. Just like I gave the two examples at the beginning, it's all going to come down to whether we're willing to admit our need of help. And then that admittance of, God, I need you to cleanse me. I need you to wash me. I need to acknowledge my transgression. <laughs> That's what David says in the very next verse. For I acknowledge my transgressions, uh, and my sin is ever before me. The need of what David was saying, God, you're the only answer here for my situation. And i got to get this right. Um, 
David gained a, a bigger perspective of the nature of his sin when he prayed against thee, verse 4, against thee, thee only, have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. He, he realized, listen, this is all about my walk with God. I've got to get this right. Do you realize that the day and age that we live in, there is a continual battle of temptation in all areas of our life. You say, well, pastor, I, I'm, I'm not running around. Thank the Lord. But what's your prayer life like? And what's your witness like? life like? And what's our attitude like? And what's our fruit of the Spirit like? And what's, what's our faithfulness like? And what's our... The, sometimes we, we, we start to classify... Um, well, you know what? I'm, I'm not running around, Pastor. But are you deceitful on your taxes? So, well, I don't own the government anything. Well, that may be true. But deceit is not the proper way. He said, the only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. David recognized that his sin, his sin was before him. Yeah, look, no, look what he says. Verse 5. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. This started a long time ago. David said, this has been a battle that's been going on. He was born sinful. He was not absolved from needing to be cleansed. David said, this is something that I realize now that this has been going on for a long time, and I need a good old-fashioned cleansing. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I love this verse, verse um, 7. He says, purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. There's multiple times in Scripture that you see the hyssop plant is used. You see it at the crucifixion where um, it's, it's, it's used in the crucifixion. You see it with the, the blood on the doorpost and, and uh, on the 10th plague when they're in Egypt. There's, this plant is used multiple times, and it's a representation of faith. If you go back to the original Passover, uh, the blood was applied with this hyssop plant. There was, there was nothing stylish about it. There was nothing fancy about it. There was nothing, you know, trying to paint within the lines. When they applied the blood to the doorpost, it was everywhere. They wanted to make sure the death angel passed over. Well, you, you go all the way to the crucifixion and the, the example of the hyssop plant comes up again. And you see that obviously the, the greatest example of faith that could ever be shown 
is when the Lord died for every one of us. And in the middle of these two events, you have Leviticus 14. Um, gives us um, uh, the example of a cleansing of a leper, which leprosy is a type of sin. And you'll see hyssop is, again, used in Leviticus 14, uh, again, in that passage of cleansing of sin. David uses the same plant phrase. He's, he's, he's not saying, you know, I, I need to get a plant to cleanse me or purge me. No, he's using the idea behind what it was used for, the applying of the blood, the cleansing of a leper, and later on going to be seen in the crucifixion. It is a symbol of faith. And so what he's saying is, I need to be purged with hyssop. I need my faith to arise to the top to realize that I'm in trouble here and I've got to get this fixed. Purge me with hyssop. Wash me and make me, he says, whiter than snow. That's the idea behind what's happening in this, in this passage. So you have this washing and, and white. And he, this is not sufficient just to pray for forgiveness and cleansing alone. It's, it's not just, well, God, you know what? I, I just need you to get this stuff out of my way so I don't feel guilty. That's not, that's not what I want God to cleanse my life for. David tells us what the, the purpose is of why he was praying what he was praying. And it's in verse 10. Create in me. Not repair in me. Not put a band-aid on me. Not tie me together. You know, not... Let, let's see what, how long we can stick it out. No, no, create in me. He's going all the way back to the beginning. God, I want you to start something fresh in me again. Create in me a clean heart, oh God. This is David. This is the king. This is the person in charge. This is the person who has majorly fallen. But his attitude is, I've got to get this right. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God, and renew a right spirit within me. David knew only God could provide a clean heart and deal with the carnality that had led him to commit such an act, an act of adultery and an act of murder, and one of the most desperate and passionate passages of this entire prayer is when David prays this, create in me a clean heart, O oh God. And then he follows it up with, cast me not away. Don't allow me to be taken out of your presence. And take not thy Holy Spirit from me. You can hear the desperate cry of David in this passage that says, no temptation is going to be greater in the future than what I know I was losing when I yielded. 
You say, well, what, what does that mean to us, Pastor? Well, I mean, temptation is going to come to you in all different manners. And there's going to be daily decisions, weekly decisions, regular decisions that you're going to have to make. Every one of us in this room, no one is exempt from it. And every one of us are going to have to have a decision made where our attitude is going to be checked on whether we've got to get it right or not. And when the attitude comes out on the right side of the equation, then there's a behavior shift that happens in our life. And say, God, nothing in this world is more important and more valuable than my walk with you. And then, then your spirit that's in my life, nothing God compares to your presence. And, and there is no pleasure. And there is no, uh, nothing that happens in life that even comes close to my walk with you. And folks, when that rises, you see a desperate cry there. And what's happening? People are going to be challenged as we get closer and closer to the coming of the Lord. Two things are going to happen. People are going to try to justify what they're doing. Or they're going to turn to the opposite and say, I've got to get closer to God than I've ever been. God, I want you to take everything out of my heart that shouldn't be there. Would you cleanse me from all unrighteousness, God? Would you cleanse me? Would you purge me, God? Would you, would you create in me a clean heart? Don't allow me to be cast away from your presence. It's a powerful passage. Earlier in his life, David had witnessed the power of the Spirit being taken away from Saul. David saw the terrible path that Saul went down. And David realized, I don't want to go down that same path. And folks, when you and I repent, not only... And we ask them for our sins to be forgiven and our hearts to be cleansed. But we're asking for God's spirit to occupy our life instead of sin. It's not about being able just to lay your head down at night and be comfortable going to sleep. No, it's being full of his spirit. That says, no, I don't, I don't want there to be room for anything else. And that's why David is saying, create in me a clean heart and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Cast me not away from thy presence. He's wanting, listen, he's saying, I, I've got to make sure that this doesn't happen again. When we sin, we must seek, obviously, the Lord's forgiveness. And even though Christ already died for our sins, this does, this does not excuse us from time to time needing to ask for forgiveness. God is gentle. He's respectful to the wishes of people. And he will even allow us to remain in our sin if we desire. He won't force you and I to come out. He wasn't forcing David to come out. All of a sudden, something is checked in our spirit, and the conviction of his presence affects us, just like it did in David's case. 
and something took, ha took place. It's Bible study now. Is everyone okay? Yeah. Why is this important? Well, men, there should be, there should be no other woman you talk to more than your wife. You don't need chat lines and you don't need contacts and you don't need to be figuring out who you went to school with. Who cares? What difference? Everyone's trying to connect, you know, for 40 years ago, 50 years ago. Why bother? Okay, you married your spouse. Just kind of stay connected there. They're all challenges and opportunities for when you're a little upset to have someone pay you a little bit of attention and you end up in a mess. Don't open the door in the first place. Oh, it's not in my notes. I know it's good. That's why I'm telling that. What happens is it doesn't just start. Someone doesn't just decide, I think I'm going to ruin my home. It's not how it starts. It starts with a, some simple, innocent, possible text or look or Facebook or something silly. And all of a sudden, before people realize, secretly meeting in all kinds of garbage. Let the power of repentance get a hold of your spirit and allow it to rise to the top and say, God, I don't want anything in there besides your presence, your spirit. And let me tell you, there's, there's a liberating freshness to that. There's something that happens with your experience with God when you push away the enemy's temptations long enough, it doesn't become as influential in your life. But as soon as you start to dabble, the enemy will put all kinds of trash in your path to tempt you. If you have an issue with gambling, you probably shouldn't take the job at the lotto booth. It's not, it's not the location that you should work at. Do you know what I'm saying? If you have a problem with lust, you might want to control the Internet. And you might want to Disconnect the cable. Well, you know, it's, per, it's cheaper if I get it. Who cares? Not cheaper in the long run when you have to give half your stuff away. Man, I got to get back to my notes. Can I tell you God's in the restoration business? 
when we realize God's love for us and His primary desires for you and I to be repentant and restored, then we no longer hesitate to come to Him. People get nervous about coming to the Lord because it, they get nervous about what it's going to reveal. But when you keep coming to God and you're, you're open with God and you're, he, they're not, you're not surprising Him in a way, so when you're open with him and you're coming to his grace and mercy, listen, there's, there's a, a fluency of, of his presence in your life, then, then God's in the restoration business. Many do not come to God for fear of, of him being too harsh with them. That's not God's trying to keep you out of trouble. His, he's the type of God that as you serve him, he, 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 he allows his presence to be magnified over your struggles. And he gives you the strength and the power through his spirit to say, you know what? I'm not giving in to that garbage. I've got my mind set. That's why he said you can come boldly into the throne room of grace that you may obtain mercy and find grace in time of need. No matter when it is. It doesn't matter where it is, when it is, who it is. Just come into his presence and say, God, I... I I need your help. I need, I need restoration in my life. And, and all of a sudden, there's a spirit, an attitude that says, you know what? I'm going to make sure I'm going to remain on the straight and narrow. And the interesting thing is, I'm finishing here, the decision's in our hands. We're all in the same boat. We all need a God. We all need a loving Savior. And so temptation and sin, they're common to all humanity. No one's excluded. And there are many examples of right and wrong. Different ways to deal with, with sin and things in life. Furthermore, because sin is so persuasive uh, and, and the examples are so different uh, that we, we all are dealing with different things at different times. But it's common to man. And the wonderful thing is, is it can be covered by the precious blood of Jesus. Repentance and forgiveness happens in a person's life, and he is so willing to say, you know what, I'm going to get you back on track. To describe sin, some use the metaphor of archers shooting arrows at a target. One might miss the bullseye by only a couple inches, while another may miss the bullseye by a few feet. Doesn't matter how far it is away, you didn't hit the bullseye. You missed. <laughs> Say, well, you know what? I'm not as bad a sinner as someone else. Sin is sin. Sin is sin. No matter what, you and I got to come to a loving Savior and say, I'm in need of you. Would you blot out my transgressions? <laughs> Against thee, the only have I sinned. I need you to wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Would you purge me, God, with hyssop and wash me and make me whiter than snow? Would you create in me a clean heart, O oh God, and renew a right spirit within me? Cast me not away from thy presence. One last verse. Stand if you would, and I'll stop. This is what it says. Restore Unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold 
me with thy free spirit. Get me back to what it was like when I was in the field looking after the sheep. And out came a bear and out came a lion. And there was such an anticipation of your presence in my life that I was in no fear of those dangers. Get me back to me marching out to stand before someone who's nine feet tall and I couldn't care less how much armor he had. And it didn't matter how loud he roared. I came against him, not with a sword and a spear, but in the name of the Lord. He says, restore unto me the joy. Too many people are not living with joy because they're overwhelmed with temptation. And the enemy's got people condemned to death. And there's a loving God just, just waiting for you and I to run to him and say, I've got to get this right. Create in me a clean heart. Thank you for joining us today. If you want more information, connect with us on our website at missionpoint.ca. God bless you.